I'm also creative. I love dashboards because it's like, ooh, graphs and charts and things moving and colors and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so if you can get your data in somewhere, like if you're using like QuickBooks or something else, and you can output it as some sort of, you know, cool graphic, it's yeah. fun to look at. And it's actually easier to digest that information and you can make some quick decisions just looking at it. to Too Legitimate to Quit, instantly actionable small business strategies with a pop culture spin. I am your host, Annie P. Ruggles. And before we jump into today's zany and practical episode, I want to stop for just a quick announcement. The next non-sleazy sales academy open house has been announced. So if you've ever wondered what the heck happens over there, how are we helping people discover who they are when they sell at their best and how to sell at their best to craft that language, to get around those mindset blocks. If you're wondering how we do that, this is your chance to find out in a pressure-free, absolutely free environment. To join us on September 15th or any other future date, go to AnniePRuggles.com slash open house. That's AnniePRuggles.com slash open house. Now for the good stuff. Today's interview with Heather Zeitzwolf. Heather Zeitzwolf is not your dad's accountant, unless your dad's accountant has funky colored hair, transforms tofu into delicious desserts, and geeks out on watching sketch comedy. She wants you to get down and dirty in your numbers. Heather wants you to understand your financials so that you can take your business to the next level. Heather works with creative small business owners, helping them get a handle on their cash flow, increase their profitability, and forecast the future. But it's not all about profits. She also helps clients with a holistic approach to business that focuses on people, planet, and purpose. Ladies, gentlemen, and all esteemed guests, I am so freaking excited because I am joined today by the Molly Ringwald of CPAs. That's right. You heard me. If there were an it girl of CPAs, I got her. And she's right here. And she's going to answer the question right now. Heather, small business owners, what do they need to focus on this week? What they need to focus on every week, profitability. Profitability. I say enthusiastically. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> well, unless you are profitable, you're going to go out of business. So yeah. that should always be your main focus is to stay profitable. You know, there might be times where you lose money, but that shouldn't be the norm. And, you know, sometimes we have, we have ebbs and flows in our business, but profitability should always be top of mind because otherwise we're going to go out of business. We could go bankrupt and, you know, uh, businesses going out of business is 
pretty probable. So we want to make sure that that doesn't happen to us. Yeah, because that's the truth. And that's the truth that a lot of entrepreneurship shows are not going to tell you. Going out of business is probable. Yeah. We don't want it to. There's a lot of people that are going to help it to. This show is going to help you not to, right? But not being able to, A, look at your numbers and adjust your numbers, B, focus on profitability, and C, also, my big issue is I over-reinvest. I'm like every single inch of what I make goes into my business every time. And that's good sometimes. But also when I have $1,000 to spend and I spend $3,000, I can no longer say I'm investing everything I have because I'm actually investing more than I have. And that's not profitable. Well, investing in your business is, I mean, that's a great thing to do to invest in your business. It's when people don't have a plan around what they're doing with this investing. So I'm guilty of this myself. I love technology. I, you know, AppSumo, I get their alerts every single day. Oh my God. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, total uh, squirrel, right? I was like, oh my God, this, I need this piece of software. And then we can go down that rabbit hole of spending tons of money on things that we don't need, we'll never use. And then we just feel guilt around having to like, oh my God, I got to fit something in where I can use this piece of software. And then you then you waste time on it. I'm, I'm talking about myself. You're also talking about me. I mean, Am- AppSumo is my Amazon. I haven't bought anything off Amazon in forever, but I'm just like you. I get those AppSumo emails and I am just there and I have a lifetime purchase before I even know what's happening. I'm like, whoa, where'd that go? I don't know. Awesome. Right. But it's, I, I feel like, um, we need to have A, AppSumo sponsor my podcast, and B, somebody among us needs to offer some kind of like AppSumo rehab. <laughs> because it's tough because we're always growing and learning. And, and also we like bells and whistles and shiny fun tools. We're nerds. We like yeah. nerdy things. I know. I know. I Once I discovered them, I'm like, oh my God, and I can try it out and bring it back? What? Yep. Like... I've, I probably have brought back more software than I've kept, but they don't care. Yeah. But it is a major distraction. And yeah. Oh, yeah. Know, so time is money and all of that. So um, we got to if we concentrated more on sales and less on AppSumo, we'd probably all get ahead. <laughs> There's the soundbite. My God, that's so totally true. Sorry, Noah Kagan and your entire team, but it's probably true. If we all at least stop browsing so dang much, I feel like at this point, I know every single software on that site. Um, But, you know, what are some other areas where maybe there are misconceptions about profitability? Like, I always was like, oh, I'm investing, so it's fine. I don't have to look and I don't have to really because it'll all come back to me. But like, what are some other either profitability missteps or mistakes or misconceptions that you see that are like, uh oh? Yeah, one of the. Uh, yeah, so. Here's the thing. When it comes to spending money in your business, especially to get help, oftentimes entrepreneurs are either nervous about hiring somebody like a contractor to help out and they're like, Mm -hmm. I'll just do it myself. And then we end up on that hamster wheel of just doing everything besides shopping at AppSumo. You know, then it's like (laughs) 10 o'clock. It's 10 o'clock at night. We still need to get the work done. Right. So uh, but 
if we have a plan and we figure out, okay, what are the tasks that if we brought somebody on, what could they do for us that would free up more time to do things like sales that could actually generate more income in our business, that would that actually pans out. So, but if you're going to have somebody help you in your business, you need to be very organized about it and, and not be like, oh crap, I don't know what they're going to even work on after I hire them. Like have a plan, be prepared, put some processes in place and hire that person and that'll free up your time. So that is money well spent when you do it that way. How it's not well spent is if you are having them do certain tasks and then you're not doing revenue generating activities in place of that. And oftentimes people will hire people to design websites and do all kinds of things that they don't actually really need. And and unless you have enough revenue coming in, those types of activities are really not worth, you know, spending money on yet. So it depends, you know, I'm, I'm all for, you know, spending money on a website, but people think like, I got to spend money on this and that. And they're hiring all these contractors before they're even making any money. I've done that so many times. (laughs) I've hired (laughs) contractors to run some of the software I buy on AppSumo. Like this is my life. But you're right. I've also done, I'm also, I have been, I'm better at this now, but I've also been guilty of the crime of what you're talking about where you're hiring and you're like, I'm hiring to fill a need and I'll figure out what they're good at and I'll figure out how to manage them on the way. And it's like, cool intention, really expensive. Yeah, definitely. Really costly, right? And it's like, well, yeah, hiring people is even more expensive if you waste both of y'all's time. Come on. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, I've definitely done that. And and I love that you brought up RGAs. You call them revenue generating activities. I call them MMAs, money making activities. Oh, okay. And it's it's funny to me that almost as like a procrastination tool, and I know I cannot be alone in this, I will convince myself that things are RGAs or MMAs that really aren't. <laughs> Or they're like so tangential <laughs> that I'm like, but this will turn into money eventually. And it's like, nah, 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 nah. Stop with the lesser categories of money-making activities. So when I'm talking about money-making activities or revenue-generating activities, I'm talking about the stuff that is one or two inches away from the prospect's face. Right? Ooh, yeah, like, I like that. They are aware of you. They are aware of what you offer. You are marketing to the people that know what you're about and are ready to make a decision in the next month. Those are what I call the MMAs. What do you or how do you define an RGA, a revenue generating activity, so that we know, are we doing RGAs or not? Yeah. So, I mean, there's two ways of looking at it. So one is, are you actually bringing in revenue by that activity? So are they buying something or are you giving them some sort of service that they're they're paying you for. So in that, what the great, oh, so, okay. So now I'm thinking ahead. So uh, (laughs) one of the, one of the great things about revenue generating activities is that you don't necessarily have to do it either. You can actually hire somebody to be doing those things and they could be making, you know, doing the activities that does bring in the, the money for you so that you can do some other like higher level money generating activities, which would be uh, speaking in public or uh, being on a sales call with somebody, doing a discovery session or some other thing that's, like you said, is going to bring them into your sphere. So 
it is talking to someone that's a prospect that you can bring in or it's an activity that you're doing with a current client. Well, because there's an ask involved in it. The ask is either go deeper in my marketing or deeper in my funnel or click a buy button and pay me. Yeah. Right. And it's like if there isn't a call to action and there isn't a buy button, it's probably not an MMA. Yeah. Slash RGA. Yeah. (sighs) See how smart you are. Although you can go speak on a stage and so that people become aware of you and you're, you know, you're visible and all of that. Hopefully you could get either a chance to maybe promote yourself a little bit or, you know, sometimes you can sell from the stage, but that's not not typical. Mm, Work that back a room, y'all. You know, that's one thing about growing up as a speaker's kid and a decorated Hall of Fame speaker's kid. I never, I was raised that one does not sell from the stage. And I never saw my mom sell from the stage. I'm telling y'all, the hustle is in the back of the room. The money is made in the back of the room. If you get off a stage and you immediately go back to your hotel room, you just lost yourself money. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, you know, I, and it, I think that I think selling from the stage is more I don't I don't I'm not talking about like a sales pitch per se. Oh, no, no. I know what you mean. There are classy good ways to do it. Yeah. Yeah. There's some classier ways. Kind of like meet me in the back. Like you said, meet me in the back of the room. I've got some books back there that I can sign. And, you know, you know yes. that kind of selling from the stage. Heck, yes, exactly. No, that's gorgeous. Make your money, especially because most of the people are on the stage that they either paid to be on in the first place or they're being not paid or underpaid to stand on. Then, yeah, go make your money. Right. But I just see so many times it's like the sin of expo tables where people spend all this money to exhibit at something and then they just let all the materials on their table talk for them and they sit there on their tablet. And like, I'm an introvert as hell. Like I have had a very extrovert day. After this, I'm not talking for the rest of the night. My husband knows that. My cats know that. No one is expecting me to extrovert anymore today. But at the same point, if I'm going to an extroversion required event, I need to show up and perform a little. I need to dance monkey a little bit. Because otherwise I'm losing my opportunities, right? And I just see so many people kneecap themselves because they're like, cool, I'm done. Table set up. I am at the expo. I am finished. I got on stage. I did the speech. Now I go to lunch with my friends. And it's like, you better not. You better continue to show up because that's just a form of sales avoidance. You know you're at the finish line. Make your freaking money. Well, and also they're not thinking about it in a profitable way, right? So if yeah. you're thinking, I got to I got to do this event and make a profit, okay, yeah. you got to pay for, oftentimes when you go to some place to speak, you m- may get in for free, uh, you may have paid to speak, and then you paid for your airline tickets, your hotel. So to make it profitable, you're going to have to, you know, get out there and hustle a little bit. You know, sometimes you got to hustle a little bit. Of course you do, because you're working. That's the thing. When you're speaking, you're working. That's your job. Your job's supposed to make you some money. All of us would love to be on stages just for our health and for shits and giggles. But those of us are on that stage have some kind of professional outcome attached. Therefore, wouldn't it be great if it was also going to make us some money? Like, come on. Come on. Exactly. Ugh. 
All right, but I keep saying the M word. And I know at this point, I've said it so many times in a row, some of the listeners might be getting a little itchy. So queen gorgeousness of CPAs, what is your take on why so many people who work so hard and know they work so hard and have such big dreams and such big goals and such big hearts and are such massive engines of productivity, even them. Why do we have such a hard time wrapping our head around earning, making, spending, saving, growing money? Yeah. Well, you know, I think a lot of people look at that top line. They look at that revenue like, oh, am I bringing in, you know, six figures or whatever? I see so many people that because I look at people's numbers, they may seem great on the outside, like what they look like on social media and all of that. And then when you dig deep into their numbers, it's like, man, okay, they do have the revenue coming in, but the rest of it is kind of, uh, kind of janky. Like mm-hmm. they're way overspending. Maybe, um, you know, oftentimes if you see the people with the fancy cars or whatever, it's like, <gasps> they may not be doing that great. Like, you know, so just the, the looks that that perception is just, I, I don't know, it's you can't rely on that. No. So you want to spend within your means in your business. Again, you know, there's certain things that you want to invest in. But as far as, you know, what you're talking about, I think a lot of it just comes from this avoidance of not wanting to look or maybe it's boring or it's not as sexy as the marketing aspect of it. But there's just a lot of fear around the whole money side of things and, you know, the finances that affects everything. It should be affecting all your decisions that you make in your business. I work with a lot of small business owners. A a lot of them are solopreneurs and they just, they just don't bother to look at their numbers. Maybe they don't have a bookkeeper that they can talk to. And so they, when they come to me, it's like, Uh, they haven't looked at their numbers all year long until I'm going to do the tax work, you know? So it's this whole avoidance. So I think the best thing they can do is get work, work with somebody, either me or somebody else that they can be looking at the numbers all year long and just start to know their numbers and get comfortable with it, you know? And play with your numbers, like have fun with your numbers, get funky with your numbers. Like you are the least boring person I know. And I know a lot of zany people. And yet you love this stuff. It can't be that boring and unsexy if you, oh, lime green haired wonder, are like, yeah, numbers, yeah. Like, come on. They have to be great. There has to be joy involved in it. Yeah, and you can gamify it too. You can, you know, make some, I don't know, some targets or whatever you have to do to make it fun and, uh, I was going to say in hip because I'm an older person. I got to make it hip. Hip is still hep. Oh, I went even older. Oh, <laughs> oh. Um, no, but I think, you know, I, I'm going to come out and admit, which is going to shock no one that's listened to this show for more than one minute. Um, I was a big time number avoider. Hell yes. And now I love my numbers. I think I check them too much. I'm like, and not even just money, (laughs) like any metrics. I'm a metric junkie. Maybe it's my OCD. It really could. It could be like a symptom of my chronic mental illness. But I'm like, ooh, good or bad. I'm like, my Twitter reach went down 0.004.1% in the last hour. Whoa. And like, I don't 
what the difference is for me is not as much my money because I have to apply a scientific mind and stuff like that. But it's really fun for me to remove emotion from my numbers and just get curious about them. Right. Like, oh, I'm down point zero 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 four percent of bloody blah, blah. That used to devastate me. And that's because I yeah. lost one person on Twitter. I don't have the bandwidth for that anymore. So now if I check it, I go, oh, I wonder who it was and why. Oh, it's because I it's because I went political again and was tweeting about Matt Gates. I know that's why. OK. Right. And I just get curious. I don't beat myself up, but it is still harder. For me to not beat myself up or stress, bring stress to the analysis of my numbers. So is there a hack or a trick or a reframe that you have for approaching your data with more enthusiasm or curiosity than dread? Yeah. So I work mostly with creatives. And, you know, as a, as creatives, they are usually visual people. So I love to look at, for me personally, I'm, I'm also creative. I love dashboards because it's like, Ooh, graphs and charts and things moving and colors and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so if you can get your data in somewhere, like if you're using like QuickBooks or something else and you can output it as some sort of, you know, cool graphic it's yeah. fun to look at and it's actually easier to digest that information and you can make some quick decisions just looking at it because it it is pulling in things and it's um you know maybe you've got it set so that it you know does some sort of fancy calculation and and then you see this uh, this wonderful chart so i would do that and also as entrepreneurs we have to be constantly curious and we have to be also tweaking what we're doing right because yeah. we, it's a we're like scientists we have to experiment with things and yes. see how they go and so yes. part of that is looking at the numbers to see like you know even like from the marketing standpoint like did this work was what what lands on social media what doesn't where did i lose my followers and try to take yourself out of that emotion it is tough i mean right we take it personally but at the same time we should try to look at it more scientifically and just kind of figure out like oh okay so that happened Instead of beating ourselves up, what can we do differently the next time to change that, to go in the opposite direction or whatever it is? Yeah. Taking that scientist approach to my business has really radically changed everything. And yes, 100% agree. Give me a chart all day. I feel like it's because I'm part of the <laughs> Sesame Street generation. Like I'm like, all of my numbers need to dance and sing and be colorful and maybe have a face. But until somebody makes a Sesame Street dashboard for businesses, which would be a great product for you, by the way, cough, cough, um, I <laughs> will just settle for having some really sexy pie charts, like really sexy little pie charts that are clickable and shiny. And no, it's totally true. If you make my numbers pretty, I'll look at them. That's funny. There is a now the the name, of course, is escaping me. It's a piece of software that does all kinds of really great charts and you can do all kinds of crazy looking charts. I'll I'll try to remember what it is. That's what I mean. I don't know if they have Sesame Street, but I'll try to figure it out if they do. I don't care. It's just that like I just need like that punky Brewster feel of like <laughs> 80s edutainment where it's like, kids, we're going to talk about numbers, but we're going to do it by making the numbers unicorns. Like, that's what I need. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm true. a child. If I'm not being taught by Miss Frizzle, does it even count? Like, come on. <laughs> um, no, I love that. So this idea of experimentation, it has radically changed my business and I'm still getting good at it because it's an experiment. And right. I'm and I have to factor in the fact that failure is part of an experiment. So let's talk for a second about bad money months and bad experimentation results. Uh, you could take that in any direction. How do we avoid it? How do we navigate it? How do we rise above it? How do we recover from it? How do I analyze it? I don't care, but bad money months, they're going to happen. They're yep. part of the whole shebang. Yep. What's your two cents on this whole thing? Well, also, we want to look at what kind of business that you have and does it have cycles that are going to happen yeah. and, and make, if we can, from this information, from looking at this data, can we make things more predictable? So as business owners, we want to make sure if we know that there's going to be absolutely no sales in June, I'm just making this up. But I mean, summer sucks for a lot of people. It's yeah. real dry for a lot of people. Yeah. So say you're a ski resort, like, you know, that you're not going to get any money and we're just making this up June. Yeah. Right. So maybe you can you know look at the rest of your year and maybe you can make it even out in those months where you're going to be selling ski rental or whatever it is. But for that down month, think of ways that you can generate revenue in different ways. So we don't have to generate revenue in one way. We can have multiple revenue streams. So you get clever around it and figure out, is there a way that I can put more predictable uh, profits in throughout the year so that way I don't have those downswings? So to answer your question, though, about um, you were saying like how you look at this and all that, once you have your, you know, your books kept and they're kept up to date, then you can run reports and look at like year over year, month over month, quarter over quarter. Mm -hmm. And then you can start seeing trends. So once you're in business for a few years and you've got all that data, yeah. data is magic. I mean, yeah. Data is, is freaking magic. <laughs> it is. And, you know, even though those years have passed and you can't do anything about them, at least you can use them as predictors of the future. So yeah. unless, you know, you're Tyler Henry, is that the guy that can um, talk to ghosts or see the ghosts? Oh, my gosh. Oh, I think that's I his name. The young sure. guy? Okay. That's his okay. name. Anyways. His name is Tyler Henry as of this episode. And if that's okay. not your name, change it. <laughs> so unless you're him, uh, you can't see the future and all of that to... No. or Nostradamus or whoever you want to say that yeah. you are, you, we got to use the past as a predictor of the future. And then also, if you have a plan, like I'd love people to have plans, what they're going to do, a profit plan, then you could take that profit plan and overlay it with what happened in the past. And then magic, again, the data magic appears and that's called a forecast, right? We would love to be able to forecast. Oh. <laughs> right. At least then, you know, when you need to be stressed, dang, and then you don't have to be stressed all the time. And yeah. the other cycle that I think is so important, because, yes, historically, for me, we are recording on August 4th. This will come out um, closer to fall or in early fall. But for me, July is an abysmal hellscape of business. And it always is. Yeah. So I know ahead of time, I got to hustle for pipeline on May and June and then basically sit on my hands for all of July. If I want to do a creative project, like write a book or launch something new, that's a great time to do it. It's also a good time to like get a mammogram and take a nap. 
because ain't nobody coming historically in July. And the only reason I know that is because I compare my data. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because yeah. I'm not new to this and I have my year over year. And and as such, that's huge. The other cycle that I have come to understand is that my buy cycle for an individual buyer is quite long. Mm. Right. And so I will see. Historically, it takes about nine months for someone to fall in love with me, follow me on social, try all the stuff I tell them to do, get to a certain level and be like, ah, screw it. I just want Annie too. Okay. That takes about nine months. And so I can also take my annual data and be like, okay, if it takes about nine months, but I know no one's going to buy in July, then the closest to nine months is August. When do I need to start going out and getting those new leads if I want to recover in August? I wouldn't know any of that if I didn't look at my bad month data. Well, that's great. And also you can think about it as that particular month that you do have the dip. That could be a great mm -hmm. time to take a vacation, right? As entrepreneurs, we yep. really need to take a vacation every once in a while. We shouldn't yes. be working constantly. So, yes, <laughs> yes, we don't need like this. There's at least once per episode. It's like, Annie, stop talking and listen to what was just said. Take a vacation. <laughs> take a vacation. Okay. This note to self interrupted by podcasting. Just kidding. Um. Okay. So experimentation, gamification, gorgeous dashboards, getting funky with your numbers, doing stuff your own way, being responsible, changing it up. I have been waiting so long to ask you this. I think I might pee my freaking pants. What? Oh, wait, hold on. Before I even get there, okay. now that I've built up all this suspense, I have to tell everybody. Um, you are the second person in show history to show up with props. Good on you. Chris DeGrasso, way back on episode like five, showed up with all of her Brett Michaels books, a Brett Michaels t-shirt, a Brett Michaels candle. You may have even outdone Krista because you brought a Brat Pack scrapbook. From the 80s. From the 80s. Original. As it was occurring. Y'all need to get FOMO right now that I got to see this and you did it because it is glorious. So with all of that context now in mind you may understand a little bit more why i'm so excited to say to you heather what does any of this profitability data experimentation gamification bad money good money any money have to do with the riches of pretty and pink Ooh, okay or any other part of pretty and pink yes okay so pretty and pink I have to just preface like one of my favorite movies when I was in high school. So I'm the same age as Molly Ringwald. So you can only imagine like how much I was so totally into her, which. Well, you are the Molly Ringwald of CPAs. So <laughs> it all worked out. Which my scrapbook, which you can't see, proves. And I'll just let you know that I did write to um, John Cryer. This was around the time <gasps> of Pretty in Pink. And I did get an autographed postcard from him, which is. <laughs> Which is in a, a, one of my, like, I have a box full of that kind of stuff. And so that is packed away. So I didn't get to have it. But at least you got to see the, the scrapbook. Okay, so what does this all have to do with Pretty and Pink? Well, I will tell you. Because I'm such a nerd, I built a framework around it <sighs> called... You majestic angel. <laughs> Ducky is my framework. <laughs> so if you've ever seen Pretty and Pink, you know that Ducky is... 
he's the character, even though you, I love Molly Ringwald, he was the character that I really most identified with because he was yeah. just an outcast, a weirdo, couldn't get a date, you know, all those things. So, um, but fantastic dresser. I mean, damn. Yeah. Ducky fashion. Like, we thought that when Stefani brought the grandpa pants back, they never left. Ducky was rocking them the whole time with the freaking wings, with the gate, like just yeah, oh, yeah. ducky fashion, best fashion. I'll have to, I'll have to send you, this is just a side note. I'll have to send you this picture of me back in the eighties where I'm wearing like my ducky outfit. So um, yes, please. I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you want to hear what the ducky framework is? Hell yes, I do. All right, so this is for entrepreneurs. So D stands for dream, have a vision. So that's where it starts. U means understand your audience. You you need to know who you serve and how you serve them. C, challenge yourself. It's so important for us to go out there and fail and be okay with that, right? K, kick ass. We want to kick ass in sales, marketing, customer service in every way. And then I is income. So did I spell that right? No. And no, wait, there's an E in Ducky, right? So I is income. So we've got to make sure we get income. And then E is evaluate and make tweaks. So I think that's yes. kind of like what we were talking about. So yes. Yes. Dream. Understand. Wait, see, challenge, so, that's my favorite one too. Dream, understand, challenge, kick ass, income, and evaluate. I freaking yep. love it. <laughs> you know who else I think would love it? John Cryer. John Cryer appreciation moment. Yeah. What, John Cryer. What a gem. What a gem. I think he would love this framework. Yeah, probably. I think I, he would be really, really touched that you made a ducky framework. Yeah, I think he actually studied science or something. It's in my it's in my scrapbook. I'll have to go back and look and what his <laughs> He went to like some kind of special science high school or something. And it's in here. Of course he did. Of course he did. <laughs> All that ducky angst didn't come from nowhere. He's a good <laughs> actor, but that was raw. Like Oh yeah, let's see. Well, I'll I'll look it up later. I don't want to take it. We up know time. we know raw, unfiltered nerd angst when we see it. We've lived it. <laughs> So John Cryer gets us and I think would really appreciate this framework. Now. Oh, yeah. Here, here it is on the John Cryer page that I've got. Oh, there. yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. OK. Well, so now, yeah, we'll know if he went to some magnet science school. But like also, of course he did, <laughs> you know, but I love that we we talked about evaluating. We talked about income and, and, and I just love the idea of kicking ass. But working backwards through the ducky, which is a phrase okay. I never thought I would get the honor to say. <laughs> um, I just really am jazzed that you included the C, which is challenge yourself, because I see when we were talking about like rough months and failure and all these other things, um, a lot of people that I know see challenging themselves, meaning that they're having hardships, right? If I'm going to oh. challenge myself, it's going to fix a problem. And I'm like, no, you got to still be growing for fun's sake, at least like, yeah. right? But, but 
I think also this show tries to do its best to dismantle the gloss of entrepreneurship, which is that beach mentality of, you know, work for 15 minutes a week, make a billion dollars and be worshipped and waved with palm fronds by, you know, next Tuesday, which is such utter bullshit. But because it's such utter bullshit, but it's still like so prevalent in the way that online business or digital marketing or entrepreneurship is talked about, then people are like, well, it's not supposed to be challenging. I'm supposed to never work a day in my life. And it's like, ha, ha, ha. not only are you supposed to be challenged, you're supposed to challenge yourself. You're supposed to up your game. We don't have a manager anymore. If we had a right. manager, they would be putting challenges and goals and numbers on us. We freaking don't. So if we're not going to challenge ourselves, we're going to atrophy. So I'm just so freaking jazzed that in this entire beautiful framework, you included that piece because I think that is really critical to divide aspirational solopreneurs from people that are actual businesses and are ready to grow and make freaking money. Well, and also comfort, you know, we can get it, we atrophy, I think, in comfort, right? So we need to be able to go out there that could have... Comfort could have been a, the C, but no, I like challenge because no I mean, challenge. I, I was, you know, I had a person on my podcast. We were talking about video and we we're talking about short form video. And I was like, man, I need to go out there and do more short form video. And, you know, I felt nervous and scared about it. It's like, oh, God, people are going to think that I'm a, such a weirdo and whatever. It's like, whatever, you know, it, like my whole thing is being authentic. So it's like I'm going to go out there and just do it. So I did 45 days of Instagram live. And, You're you know, so in a row. Holy and so, hell. and that got, got over my fear. You know, it's like the first couple yeah. of days it was like a little bit nervous. And then I was like, this is not a big deal. Like, mm -mm. well, and also for the duckies of the world, when you stand firm in your duckness, it's real easy for the duckettes of the world to find you and want to dance with you at the prom. Like, right. <laughs> you know, if you weren't out there, we wouldn't have the mutual friends we have. And they wouldn't know that it's ridiculous that you and I didn't know each other before we did. And then once we left, we're like, oh, hi. <laughs> Ducky, nice to meet you. I'm Ducky. So nice <laughs> to see you. Like, we have some Iota qualities. We have some Molly qualities, right? We have some Andy qualities in there. But at the same point, we're like, oh, hey, Ducky, it's me, Ducky. Nice to see you. <laughs> Um, which I feel like, again, back to John Cryer is probably how he like lives his normal life. Like, I think he's got good, like ducky x-ray vision. Like he can see our hearts and he'll know. Yeah. I, like, I would like, imagine. I'd like to think that he was, you know, a lot of that character was him. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Especially the dancing scene. Oh, come on. Just glorious. Just. <sighs> I have this book. It's about the Brad Pack. It's called, um. Don't you forget about me. I think that's I think that's the name of the book. Anyways, so uh, I was reading in there about Pretty in Pink and that scene where he does the the dancing that was not in the original script. And they felt like it was kind of like a sort of a dead scene where she's just waiting for her date. And so he he was like he came up with that idea. And then that's like the most iconic scene in the whole movie now. Yeah. Yeah. So that was his idea to do something like that. The original song they were going to do was going to cost too much money. So then they they picked that song. But freaking amazing. Yeah. That whole scene. Annie Potts. Oh, my Annie God. I love Annie Potts. Potts. <laughs> I would take a bullet for Annie Potts just because she's an Annie P like I am. And she's Annie freaking Potts. And like 
talk about the original ducky of my childhood. Like everybody wanted to be a ghostbuster. I wanted to be her. I was like, <laughs> I'll answer the phone. She's awesome. I don't care. Well, you know, and Annie Potts in that character, she is Iona, I think is the name of her character. Yeah. She's yeah. the record store mm -hmm. owner. And, you know, there's that scene where she can't use the adding machine. Like, she's like, I don't know how to do this, right? So I, I think of that as like most entrepreneurs, like it's like that yeah. whole part of the business is just like, ah, get me out of here. Like, I don't. Well, she's a great example. She loves music mm -hmm. and she loves being a scenester. Right. And being quirky and doing her own thing and not having a boss. And so she, like many of us, is like, I'm quirky. I love what I love. I'm unhirable slash unmanageable. I know what I'll do. I'll go do this thing. Oh, wait, that requires me to know my numbers and sell things. What? Like, yes, darling, you own a record store. Like, <laughs> that. that is what that means. You, you need to know how to use an adding machine or, you know, hire someone who does. But... Damn, if I don't just love her. She is. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I feel like this is just becoming like a celebrity appreciation episode in my head. I'm just like, God, I love John Cryer. God, I love John Cryer. And God, I love Annie Potts. My God. You know, okay. So a lot of Pretty in Pink is about the haves and the have nots. And I think there's also some challenge lesson in there too, because we have Steph. Steph, the villain, <laughs> Steph, who just has everything handed to him. And then we have Blaine, the appliance human. Yeah. Um, oh, and that, that was he, he ad libbed that line too. So that's pretty funny. Oh my God. Such a good line. Yeah. It's not a name, it's an appliance. Yeah, it is. It totally is. <laughs> um, but the, you know, Blaine tries more and dabbles at challenge and then finds challenge scary and stops for like a whole movie until he grows his balls back at the end. Right, right. But Steph is privilege personified in more ways than one. And we find out, spoilers for a movie that came out in the 80s, uh, <laughs> we find out at the end, very shockingly to Blaine, that Steph is just butthurt the whole time because Andy doesn't like him and didn't want to go on a date with him. Ooh. Ooh! But that's so true of this, like, entitled idea of everything is supposed to come naturally to me and easily to me because I'm doing this my own way and I'm showing up authentically and isn't it nice to be me and the second he's confronted with a challenge, it becomes his enemy. Like, he's such a perfect example. Steph could not work the ducky method. No. And, you know, that whole idea of, like, he was that sort of personified, like, that yuppie, preppy culture Ugh. back then. And he's wearing the Miami Vice kind of jacket and <laughs> pants the whole time, you know. And he kind of represents, to me, sort of those entrepreneurs that, they have money to begin with, you know, they go out in the world and you see them and they can buy like the 50,000 followers on Instagram or whatever yeah. it is. Like they can buy, they can buy the account. end caps at Barnes and Noble. Yeah. 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 They can. Yeah. So it's like, you can't compare yourself to them. Like there's, and why would you, I'd rather be the kids that were sitting outside than the kids in the lunchroom. So. Uh, oh, hell I yes. <laughs> Yes. And if I had a time machine and could go back to grade school, high school was fine. But if I had a time machine and I could go back to grade school, I'd be like, stop trying to sit with the cool kids. Stop sitting by yourself. Go find the other kids that are sitting by themselves and go sit with them. Like I'm focused on the wrong kids here. And I feel that way sometimes about 
my the the kind of prospects that my client that my competitor sorry leave behind too where it's like they want these shiny all-star clients that they can put as testimonials on their website and mm. i'm like give me the duckies let's have fun with the duckies let's do some dancing and make some magic happen and be the reliable force that eventually people will come to fucking appreciate <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Pretty in Pink, very famously, movie with two endings. Yeah. Um, for anybody that doesn't know this, I'm not sure how, but here's the skinny. Uh, originally, Andy, played by Molly Ringwald, the gorgeous, the pretty in pink, winds up with BFF, the old reliable, John Cryer himself, Ducky. And apparently audiences hated that, so they're like, no. Yeah, they booed. Let's make her wind up with Mr. Vanilla Appliance Man. I think Andrew McCarthy was working on some other movie or something. He had his weight had changed. So they kind of had to like somehow figure that out. And they're like, just go be in a shadow. Yeah. So they had to reshoot the ending. And so you don't really see too much. I mean, like he's sitting at a table and then they, the but the famous kiss. And so that was, you know, I, I don't know how we would turn that into a business lesson, but I think the lesson is, well, hold on. Let's see. It's one of your favorite movies. Which ending do you prefer? I think when I was a teenager, I I was like, why didn't she end up with Ducky? And, you know, they remade the movie. It became um, some kind of wonderful. And in that movie, he does end up with uh, the girl with the drums, the drumsticks. Yeah. And in that movie, I think it makes more sense that he ended up with her. Where in this one, I kind of like the romantic ending of Andrew McCarthy. And I think that, yeah. I think the lesson is that you can't sum up somebody just from their looks and their outside. And they they are more complex than that. I think it's totally true because I had the same exact thing, right? Like Ducky the Ducky, it, original ending, right? Recorded ending of her winding up with Ducky. I was like, yay! And then I grew up and I watched the original and I'm like, just because he's not what I would have chosen doesn't mean that she's the wrong choice. But then also that movie has always been about Ducky for me. And this episode is about the Ducky framework. And come to think of it, when Andy goes after Ducky or goes with Ducky at the end, she's settling for Ducky. And Ducky does not deserve to be settled for. Ducky needs to be Duckette's first choice. And so yeah. I'm glad that in that ending, they do give Ducky somebody to dance with because Ducky does not need to settle for being somebody's second best. And there's the business lesson. Neither do you. If you lose somebody to your glossier competitor, maybe they belong together. No use crying over spilled prospects. Go find somebody who's going to appreciate you for you. Like you said, when you do those videos, someone's going to be like, oh, she's too wacky. Okay, well, that person wants a Blaine. Yeah. <laughs> Some people want Blaines. I don't know why, but they do. And it doesn't mean that a ducky isn't great. But I agree with you. The 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 romantic ending grew on me because I'm like, this gives Ducky more possibilities. And he ends up with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Right, like in her very first role, credited as Duckette, which I just love. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, Duckette, that's the best. Oh, my God, Duckett. All right. I got two more questions for you. Okay. All right. All right. Before we all get back to making money. Yeah. We got a little bit more time on the clock. Okay. You have an event coming up. Okay. A big one. 
Yeah. Okay. And you have an article of clothing that you kind of like. Maybe dad bought it for you, but then you get into a fight about how he's not really going to his full-time job because he's upset that your mom left or maybe not. Maybe it's just an old t-shirt you have. I don't know. But you want to jazz it up, but your only options are you have to get an article of clothing from one of your old bosses. Which one of your, because I always thought their relationship was so lovely and so effed at the same time. I'm like, why is she sitting in the food? Like, wow, how did they wind up with Ducky? How did she wind up taking care of Ducky? Also, like, this is great. I love that she's like the big sister, but like, don't cut up her clothing. Like, what is even happening? So you have to go to one of your previous bosses and you have to borrow, air quotes borrow, because you're going to cut it into bits. An article of their clothing. Which boss? Which article of clothing? Oh, wow. Okay, so <laughs> I, <laughs> this is challenging. I went to fashion design school, so my first degree is in fashion design, and so I do actually know how to make a pattern. And uh, so in in Pretty in Pink, you know, she they don't actually say it. Like in the book, I bought the book that was made from the movie. They say Which that she's going to go to fashion. Ending. Yep. Yeah. It, yeah. It, that she's going to fashion design college, but I can't think of any boss that I would actually have wanted to borrow something from. But back in the eighties, I was really into taking like ex military stuff and painting on it. So maybe if I had had a boss that had been in like Vietnam or something like there that, I probably, you know, that would have been the right time period. Cause I had a lot of those jackets and I would paint on it and stuff. And so, I would have probably done something like that and then cut up some kind of clothing and then tacked it on and sewed it on and made some kind of patch on the back. That's probably what I would have done. Yeah. You know, tank girl prom. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All for it. Exactly. That would have been a bold and fabulous, fabulous look. Uh, I said I had two more questions. I really have three. Do you have a message for John Cryer himself about the inspiration of the Ducky framework or anything you'd like to say to John Cryer? Do you know him personally? Uh, so Hell no. John Cryer, wow, you've been such an impact on me. I'm sorry, but I've never actually seen that show with Charlie Sheen. I've never watched that. John Cryer, if you're listening, please DM me what you think of the Ducky Framework. There you go. Uh, and I can't think of the name of that show right now either, John, but that doesn't mean we don't Oh, it's him. like two heads and a baby or two guys oh, and a baby. Two and a half men, two and a half, two and half men. men. We got okay. there. Okay. We got okay. there. Okay. We got there. And no, I don't know him personally. You just never know who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. <laughs> and he seems like an accessible sort of dude. John Cryer, we love you. Molly, we love you too. Um, yes. But I feel like more of my childhood was shaped by Annie Potts and John Cryer. And I am grateful yeah, I think so for too. that. For me so too. Is, yeah. if someone needs you to shape their numbers, see what I did there? Ooh. Ooh. Uh, so they the- don't John Cryer over them. Oh! And wind up living in a pot. All right, I lost it. Um, <laughs> I lost it. Uh, what is the best way for our listeners to start a conversation with you? Yeah. Oh, well, I'm sure you're going to have some links in the show notes. But Hell yes. If you- so my podcast is called Get the Balance Right. 
So it is for entrepreneurs, creative entrepreneurs. So you can listen to the show. I would love for you to do that. But the best way to find me is on Linktree. So if go, you go to Get the Balance Right, find me on Linktree. You can find links to, I have free workshops. I've got uh, a business called Zeitzwolf Accounting, which is a little bit harder to to figure out how to spell that. But if you go on Instagram and you search vegan CPA, I will definitely come up. So at Zeitzwolf at Instagram or just search vegan CPA and you'll find me. Well, and Zeitzwolf is A, a gorgeous name and B, totally fanatic. Just throw throw an E on that thing and you'll figure (laughs) it out. But vegan CPA can't be easier than that. And yes, uh, I can't wait to be on your podcast and bring a little bit of my zany your way. It has been such a freaking delight to have you here, Heather. I have been looking forward to this interview for such a long time, and you did not disappoint. Oh. So let's say it again. The ducky framework is dream, understand your audience, challenge yourself, kick ass, income, and evaluate. And make tweaks. It's all an experiment. Get funky with your data. And I feel like we're just going to have to have a dance party as part of this week's homework. So ah, this was just so (laughs) cozy and wonderful for my soul, just like a John Hughes movie. Thank you so much for being my guest today, Heather. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, It's been so great. And I always say, get radical with your numbers. Ooh, get radical with your numbers. Well, let's do it. Let's absolutely do it. Go and engage with Heather's stuff. Let's get radical with our numbers. And let's do it with ducky-esque aplomb. Do it for John Cryer. Do it for Annie Potts. Everybody, I will be back in just a second with my final thought and your homework for this week. Well, hey there. Weeks after the original recording of this interview, I am still so delighted by Heather's ducky method. I'm still digging into how often I challenge myself and how optimistically or at least curiously I look to take risks in order to grow. But Heather was so dang passionate about us digging into our numbers, I felt it would be a disservice if I didn't lean into one of the more metrics-driven pillars of the ducky, the E evaluate and change. Your homework this week is to take a look at your metrics for something with medium stakes, meaning don't pick TikTok followers if, like me, you forget the platform exists for weeks at a time, but you also don't have to compile your annual PL right freaking now. Something that matters enough to monitor and has a little emotion attached to it, but also not something that you're going to have to talk to your therapist about. Then look at that number. If it is where you want it to be, great. Make a tangible action-oriented plan to grow that number by 10% or some other reasonable but ambitious scale and increment. And if the number is not where you want it to be, that's cool. This is no excuse to be nasty to yourself. Instead, get curious and playful with that number. Why isn't it where you expected it to be? What bold, ducky-loving first step will take you in the right direction? And how can you get curious, even playful, about growing it? 
put a reminder in your calendar and then again in a few weeks so you remember to see the ROI of your big, fabulous mini experiment. Hey, thanks for listening. If this episode kept you laughing and learning, I have two requests for you. First, make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button, depending on your platform, so you never miss an episode. And also, more importantly, if you are looking for support, inspiration, networking, collaborations, or just a chance to hang out with me, Annie P. Ruggles, and our fantastic guests, make sure that you are a member of our LinkedIn community, The Legitimati. It is a weird and wonderful place. I can't even believe it's on LinkedIn, and we want you there. You'll find the link in the show notes. Big shout out, as always, to the fabulous dudes who helped me make this show. My producer and editor, Andrew Sims of Hypable Impact. My theme composer, Riley Horbasio, And my show art creator, Francois Vigno. See you next time. <laughs>